Hey everyone, if you are interested in becoming a pharmacist or learning about the career, please stay tuned. Hi, I'm Kiki. And I'm Kemi. And you're listening to Your Advisors Will See You Now, a podcast that will help you to figure out all of your options for life after high school. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Your Advisors Will See You Now. We are still with our career series. I guess it's a new year. This is our first one of the new year. Um, yeah, this will be our new one of the new year. Yeah. <laughs> we have an awesome guest for our first interview of 2023. Um, we are joined. She's super humble, so she's not going to tell you, but we are joined by Dr. Jennifer Riafe. Riafe. Um, and she, she'll correct me in a second if I said it incorrectly, <laughs> um, but she is a doctor of pharmacy, um, which I feel like, you know, anything in healthcare, we haven't had, we've, we've had one previous episode in healthcare, but we know it's very popular for a lot of listeners and just people wanting to enter healthcare or maybe pivot into healthcare. So we're excited to have Dr. Jennifer here with us today. Um, so I'll let her introduce herself and we'll get started with the interview. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be the first guest of the new year. I feel honored. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But my name, uh, like Kiki said, is Dr. Jennifer Riaffi. I originally hail from Connecticut. I went to school at the University of Buffalo, and that's where I got my degree. Um, After that, I did two years of residency. So technically, I'm an, um, an EM specialist, so I specialize in emergency medicine, and I did that for the last five years of my career. Um, but I recently transitioned to pediatrics, so now I work at a children's hospital in Connecticut. So completely moved from the adult medicine world and being in the chaos of the ED to now being in pediatrics and working with kids. Awesome. Well, that's perfect. Thank you. So what led you to go into pharmacy? And can you just give a little background as to... Well, we'll start from there, and then we'll dig deeper into mm-hmm. the education path that goes into it specifically. Yeah, so um, it's interesting because for most of my life, and my parents will tell you this, I thought I was going to be a chemical engineer. Um, I don't know why, but like that was just always something I said as a kid was I was going to be a chemical engineer, chemical engineer. Um, and then in high school, actually, my grandmother was recently was diagnosed with breast cancer, but my grandmother wasn't living in the U.S. anymore. She was living in Ghana. And a big thing that I noticed was like access to medications and how hard mm-hmm. that was. And even though she had money, right, because she had worked for so long in America, um, just getting certain health care and getting certain medications was just such a challenge. Like I remember my mom would be shipping stuff or sending stuff with family members who were going to Ghana to visit. Um, so I kind of opened my eyes to the pharmacy world. I never really had any work experience prior to that, but because of that, I was like trying to explore pharmacy and just get a better understanding. And then I learned about like, you know, public health a little bit more. Um, and that kind of pushed me towards like being an emergency medicine pharmacist, right? Because like people think of public health and global health, they think of like, you know, mission work and going to other countries and that's stuff that I do still do now. But I thought of like, how do we do public health here on our own land in America? So like the ER, people think of the ER as like, oh, this crazy TV shows that you see. But what they also don't see is that a lot of people treat the emergency room as like 
their doctor's office because they just don't have good health literacy. So that's Mm. just a way for a pharmacist who is like on the ground to kind of help impact that way, educate people about their medications and also educate them about attaining healthcare, but in a proper way so that they always don't have to go to the ER and kind of taking preventative measures. So that's how I kind of like got into EM pharmacy and into pharmacy in general. I love that. That's like such a cool purpose. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Oh, that was perfect. Yeah, that makes that makes you definitely want to wake up in the morning and uh, (laughs) and and, like change the world. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. So now you're saying that, like you, like Kimmy just said, you like connected this whole your career to a a whole purpose, and then it was like very Mm -hmm. personal as well. Can you just talk about like how you went about doing your research? Because I know a lot of like I'll use myself for example. I was like, I want to be a doctor, but didn't really, you know, I don't know anything about mm-hmm. that except going to the doctor and seeing what they do. And I, I know for myself, I didn't do a whole lot of research, you know, going into school. So mm-hmm. it sounds like you like really did a lot of research. Like, were there people that you like knew, or you just kind of did that, like you know, on your own, just trying to figure out what your pathway would look like? Yeah. So um, it's great that you asked that because I didn't really know anybody who was in pharmacy. Back in the day, like it was mostly just Google, right? Just like Googling. Um, What I will say too is my high school counselor, who I admire um, a lot, he helped me to kind of like get a better understanding of the programs that I wanted to apply to. So I was just kind of mostly just Googling and reading things. And that's actually how I ended up at the university at Buffalo because I had all these schools that I had applied to for college, right? And then I just was like, oh, I need one more school. So I just Googled colleges with pharmacy schools and University at Buffalo came up and I told my mom like hey I want to check it out and I ended up really loving it compared to any other school that I saw so that's how I ended up there so like Google was really like helpful for me to just read and get an understanding because like I will be truly honest with you I was not the high school kid or the college kid to just go up to a pharmacist and be like hey can I shadow you can I talk to you like that was not something I did. I was like, I'm gonna just read about it on my own. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it ended up working out because, um, and we could talk about it more, but Buffalo has like a, a program called the Early Assurance Program that had me kind of on track straight from high school. Oh, wow. Cool. I was gonna ask you, because mm-hmm. um, you, you mentioned it was five years of your program. So is that like four, the four years, or was it like three years of undergrad and then two years of your program? Or, or oh, like, so, is- oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, can you kind of like break down how your program worked and then how the residency, like how you got into that program too? Yeah. So actually um, pharmacy, my program was six years. So the doctor to pharmacy program is four years. So depending on if you do prereqs for two or three years, or if you get a four year degree, um, the standard is four years. There are accelerated programs that are like, I think like three years, but you have no breaks. So that's for someone who really is, you know, dedicated to getting that degree because it's very taxing. Um, But I did four years and I did two years of undergrad. So at University of Buffalo, they're like a 2-4 where they have like an early assurance program. And what that was was that I had to maintain a certain GPA. I was like admitted into the program straight from high school and I was considered pre-pharmacy, but I had to maintain a certain GPA um, so that my application process would be easier. Um, so like if you had, I, I think the requirement now is like 3.3 or something. I'm not, I don't, can't remember what it was when I was in school. Cause that was just so long ago, but, um, 
like you had to maintain the 3.3 now, but like if you do, then you don't have to take like an entrance exam. You don't have to get letters of recommendation. You're pretty much guaranteed an interview. So a lot of the application requirements are cut down. Um, unfortunately, and I'll be transparent, and I tell everybody this, like I had, if it, it was a 3.3, I had a 3.29 and they would not take me. I remember that so vividly because I was 0.01 off. And so I had to take the entrance exam, which is the PCAT. And so I had to like dedicate time on top of doing all those prereqs because I was taking about 18 to 20 credits every semester to make those oh. prereqs in two years. Um, and also get my general studies education done. You know, like you got to take the history and all that. Um, so I was doing that. And then I had to study for an entrance exam. I had to get letters of recommendation. I had to do the whole online application. And it was very costly. So um, because of that as well, um, because they didn't take me with my 0.01 off, I ended up also applying to like UConn because I was like, if they don't take me and I did all this work, I should also apply to other schools <laughs> just yeah. in case. Um, but I did end up getting in and then I did the four years of the PharmD program, um, which is considered like P1, so professional year one through professional year four. But in those four years, Three of them are actually academic years where you're taking classes. Your fourth year is just clinical rotations where you're rotating through different types of settings for a whole year. So like 40 hours a week. Ours were like six, six-week rotations for 40 hours a week minimum. And you're basically functioning and learning about pharmacy in different clinical settings, um, unpaid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. A little salty, but you know, yeah. you figure yeah, it out. <laughs> yeah, 40 hour um, days. Yeah. I know, because you're like, dang, I could be making Job. some real money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I did those six, six week rotations, and it was actually like, you know, my school is heavy clinical. So the University of Buffalo is very heavy clinical, but there are some schools that aren't as heavy clinical where they kind of talk more towards the outpatient side, which is like more retail. Um, and then there are schools who are heavy research. So like in doing industry work. So our school was heavy clinical because there was a lot of like clinical do um, providers and clinical pharmacists that were our faculty and also research. So initially though, I'll tell you, I interned through Walgreens for three years. Well, my like, yeah, three years of school. Cause I was working like 20 hours a week minimum to, you know, pay my way through school and pay my bills. And I thought I was going to be at Walgreens forever, but then I did a rotation um, in Arizona at the poorest Indian reservation. And that was like very eye opening to clinical work and just like public health work again. So I was like, okay, if these pharmacists can do that type of work. Like what is the path that I have to take to get there? Um, and then I kind of started considering residency. So I ended up applying to residency and honestly, by the grace of God, I got in because I did not prepare myself through school to do residency because a lot of people who know they want to do clinical prepare themselves through those four years by getting research done, by getting clinical experience and, you know, getting hospital jobs. And I had none of that. Mm. So I think my next question to stem off of that. So what are like the different, because I think there's different areas of pharmacy, like it can be pediatric pharmacy, if you could list some of those. Um, and then do, like kind of detail, because you're going into residency. Once I hear like residency school, my head starts to spin. I'm like, how did y'all figure this out? So can you just kind of yeah. give maybe like a general path for someone to get into maybe like the most common um, pharmacy area, I guess? Yeah. 
Yeah. So when I think of pharmacy, I think of it in like um, four buckets. So there's like outpatient, which is more like retail. Um, And then there's also like, so there's outpatient, which is more like retail. So what people think of like CVS Walgreens, right? Um, There's also certain pharmacies called like specialty pharmacies that deal with only like certain types of drugs, like whether it be like chemotherapy or orphan drugs or things that are just more high cost, but are catered to a certain population. So I think of like outpatient. Um, And for the stuff like that, you know, you can intern at a Walgreens or you can kind of get a job. You can intern at like a retail pharmacy or you like get a job straight out of pharmacy school and kind of get that experience as a staff pharmacist and work your way up in that field. Um, And then I think of things like the second bucket is like more like clinical work or like inpatient. So like inpatient pharmacy is more, and there's a difference between there because there's like inpatient pharmacists who are staff pharmacists and may not do clinical work exactly. They may just like do the dispensing functions of like getting the meds out to patients in the hospital. Um, And that you can do like get a job straight out of high school, straight out of um, pharmacy school for that, excuse me. Um, But the clinical work You know, there are folks who get into clinical work without doing residency, but the way that the pharmacy world is going now, like you need to do residency at least one year because our residency is a little different from medical residents where they have to do like most of them at least three or four years before they can move on. Um, We have like a year one and a year two and your year one is usually pretty general. Um, There are some that aren't just like general pharmacy residencies, but those are the caveats. And then year two is where you kind of do your specialty. Um, So you can do one year residency and then go do clinical work. Um, A lot of places like value that one year. And then if you do a second year, you know, you can go on and move forward to finding like that specific job. Like me, I did two years. My second year was in emergency medicine. So that's why I ended up working in a trauma hospital in New York City in the ED there because that's what I had like trained for for two years. Um, And then there's a third bucket, which I consider like industry and like fell so like you can get into industry like some people can apply straight out but there's what we call fellowships for industry which there's so many different types of fellowships for industry from research development and protocols and like you know pharmacoeconomics and just so many different things but like to do that like felt you have you most likely have to get in a fellowship and fellowship is very competitive similar to residency because there's lots of people who want it and there isn't positions for everyone. So like, you know, you have to kind of secure that position. You have to do research. You have to have good connections. And then the fourth bucket is what I consider like miscellaneous because there are pharmacists who work like as consultants. There's pharmacists who do medical writing. Um, There's pharmacists who do like IT and technology. So there's so many things that you can do as pharmacy that people don't realize. They think of like hospital and like retail, but there's really so many different things you can do in pharmacy. And there's pharmacists who are like board of directors for hospitals. So like, it just depends Mm -hmm. as how you tailor your path and where you're trying to go. That was great Um, information. Oh, it is. It it, it is great because too, I mean, it gives people insight, like, or it tells people you have to do your research. And that's like our biggest, Mm -hmm. our biggest thing on this podcast is to do your research because I would have, I didn't, think about like pharmacy and IT but everything involves IT these days technology is obviously the future but you know there's so many uh, areas and I I think you know 
we go to like CVS, like those are pharmacists too. But I don't know if we like yeah. always correlate that, you know, it's just like they're giving me like giving me pills in a in a bottle yeah. and they're checking me out. So that's cool. Like that's that, that's really cool. Like break it down that way, so people listening can see like there's all these different avenues. And just yeah, yeah, do, your, yeah. do your research as well. So yeah, yeah. and there's yeah. also pharmacists who work in insurance. <laughs> so like when you're having Everywhere. problems with insurance and you're thinking like why are they not covering my drug a lot of times there's a pharmacist behind there who's like looking into it to make sure that it's like clinically indicated or if there's something else that you could take that may be less costly um so like they're everywhere yeah you just don't know it until you ask questions and do research no that's amazing Thank you for breaking that down. We we appreciate that, and hopefully listeners do too. So listeners, no do your research. Um, but can you talk about? So you said you worked in like emergency medicine. Now you're in pediatrics. If you want to share, like you know, what the days were like for both, please feel free. But yeah. if you can share like a general, like what your day to day looks like, and I'm sure it's different, but yeah, a general day to day. Yeah, so I can definitely share. So um, when I was doing emergency medicine. The one thing that I like about Mercy Medicine is that every day is different, right? Like you can have a really slow day in the ER or you can have a really crazy day. And I thrived off of stuff like that. Um, people say that people, like people in healthcare say that people who work in the ED love adrenaline. Um, I, you know, a little bit, but like I also just love the fast pacedness because it was never boring. Um, I could rarely ever say I was bored at work. So my typical day though, when I worked in the ED was First things first, when I came in the morning, I would just kind of open up our electronic medical record and just take a look to see what type of patients were downstairs um, in the ED and just kind of take some time, like an hour or so to work up patients. Um, Just in case if it was crazy, I had like that quiet time to kind of just look through patients clinically. And then I would basically spend most of my day in the ED. So what I was doing is just at bedside with doctors providing clinical recommendations for treatment. Doctors would ask me questions, so I would serve as a drug information resource. Um, There are many times where doctors would say, hey, I have this patient with this type of history and I want to give them an antibiotic based on this type of bacteria that's growing. What were your recommendations? Or if there are medical emergencies, I would be at bedside with them. If we were doing CPR, you know, I'd be at bedside with them um, making recommendations for like life support and the drugs that they may need, helping nurses um, get meds ready and set up medication administration pumps. You know, there have been times where I've had like, I used to do a lot of teaching as well. So I've had residents who are on rotation with me who've done CPR at bedside with the medical team when we were in medical emergencies. So I'm trained to do CPR, um, advanced cardiovascular life support, and even pediatric advanced life support. So like being clinically aware. Um, And then with the nurses, like they would ask me lots of questions as well. I would also help them like kind of just understand like, okay, why are you giving this med? How do you give this med? What are some things you need to monitor when you give this medication? Because some folks forget that medications aren't always benign. There's always side effects. There's always something you need to keep an eye on. So that was like my typical day. And then any meetings and education. I used to do lots of education for the nurses and the providers as well. Um, And now in my PED side, So I made a transition to peds, but I'm not as clinical in my job. Like there's still clinical aspects, but I've transitioned more to operations. And that's just because that was 
what I like a lot about my hospital here is that when you're doing operations work, um, you still have that clinical aspect because there's still people calling you and asking questions. So you still need to be very on top of your game. So my day um, when I come in at my new hospital is mostly like in the beginning of the day, kind of just figuring out, okay, what chemotherapy are we preparing for the day? Because we have a chemotherapy clinic and a chemotherapy floor. Um, who are my techs that are working in our IV room and who are working outside, like doing oral doses and then just kind of making sure that we're on top of what we call like batches. So just like getting together the massive amounts of meds for different times throughout the day, um, checking all their work. Um, we have lots of technologies. So when our techs make, um, compounds like in the IV room with like the injections, I, they take pictures of everything. So I'm looking through the computer screen and checking their photos through the cameras that they do to double check their work to make sure they're making things properly. Um, and just making sure times are, of stuff is done. We're dispensing medications to the nurses on time. Um, and also like taking care of like the narcotics because those are highly regulated. There's a lot of laws around them. So making sure that things are handled properly. Um, we're putting medications up on the floor and also just kind of putting out fires, which is why I like central operations because every day is different, right? You can have a smooth day and then you can have days where it feels like all hell breaks loose <laughs> in a pharmacy because like right now, and I'm not sure if you guys have seen on the news, like children's hospitals are surging because kids are getting really sick and there's not a lot of space for them. Um, and like through the pandemic, a lot of children's hospitals or like bed, hospitals that had children's beds closed down because they didn't have the funding and they didn't have enough people coming in because like during the pandemic, the kids were home and they weren't being as affected as adults were. Um, but right now that we're out in the open, and I'm not sure if you guys have heard of the triple-demic, like RSV, flu, and COVID, mm -hmm. like our hospital is so packed, like so packed. So, like, every day can be really chaotic. Even just, this is this is small conversation has opened my mind up so much more about pharmacy. Because I'm so used to, obviously, the most common pharmacy connection that I have is if I have to go to CVS and pick up my mm -hmm. medication. But now mm -hmm. seeing, like, the behind the scenes of, like, oh, yeah, obviously there's, there's pills, but there's also, like, the liquid forms of medication that you might need or injections. Mm -hmm. Um, just seeing the behind the scenes of all the intricacies that play together, even like you were saying, you can take a form of medication, but it also may have a side effect. Or mm -hmm. it just made me even randomly think of there's certain med medications you can take, but you're not supposed to have grapefruit juice with it because I guess there's some kind yes. of little things <laughs> like that. So yeah. that must yeah. be... That's a lot to juggle in your brain and kind of remember too. And then, and then you might have yeah. a random person that comes in that has like a random, like specific issue, or maybe they're allergic to something. So you have to keep all that. Yeah. So it's kind of like a puzzle kind of too, right? Yeah, it is. And it's a lot of like, um, attention to detail. So like, um, one big thing that we like harp on in pharmacy is like attention to detail, attention to detail, attention to detail. And the reason is, is because like you said, a person can come in and have an allergy or they can be on so many other medications and you need to make sure that what you're giving them doesn't interact with what they're taking or doesn't like cross react with an allergy that they may have. Because a lot of drugs down to the basic science have sim may have like similar molecular and chemical structures. So, and they may be in a similar class. So it's like, oh, like let's say Kiki has an allergy to Keflex. I do, like, okay. that's crazy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> she just looked at you and was like, she got nothing. 
I really do. That's hilarious. Okay. Is that good? <laughs> wow. Oh, okay, yeah. doctor. I gotta, That's crazy, I'm Jen. I'm like, <laughs> okay. really intuitive okay. now. So, like, let's say she has an allergy to Keflex and she comes in my hospital and they want to give her a drug like um, Cefazlin or Ansef. I may be like, hold on. Is her allergy a true allergy, right? Like, is it just a side effect where she just pukes? Or is it that she breaks out into hives and has, like, breathing issues? Because, like, you need to think about that, right? Because, like, that may, drug may set her off. Or if she's just, like, having, like, stomach upset, like, she may be able to tolerate it. So we think about things like that a lot. We think about dosing a lot because there's always a delicate balance with dosing, um, and I actually just like delivered a lecture about this, but I was telling the providers, like, you want to maximize your dose, but also maximize your benefit. You don't want it that you maximize your dose, but now you're pushing patients over where the benefit is minimized and the side effects are maximized, right? Like there's a delicate balance with making sure that you do what you need to do, but you don't cause harm. Mm, right. Yeah. So like, we're very big on attention to detail. And even when you're checking stuff, like, I can tell you, you can get checking fatigue, like your eyes get tired, you look at the same thing over and over, but you still have to give it that same attention, because that one time you don't, that may be the one where there's a mistake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I guess, really cool. and I guess like the next thing to go in, to go from that is what are some of like your highlights and what are some of um, maybe some like big obstacles for people in this field? I think the highlights mainly is like, you have to be very driven to like help patients, right? So like having great patient care is such a highlight. Like when you know that a recommendation you made or something that you prepared really did help a patient out, it's very like heartwarming and it just makes, it solidifies like why you're in this field, right? If you're really there to help patients. Um, I think the highlights too is like with pharmacy, and having a license, like you have to do continuing education every couple of years based on where your license is. And personally, for me, I think that's a highlight because, you know, one thing I think folks get worried about is how am I going to remember all this information? How am I going to learn all these updates? But when you do continuing education, it kind of keeps you on your game because, you know, you're learning about the new things that are coming out and you're making sure you're staying fresh in your knowledge. So for me, that's a highlight. And then also the colleagues that you make, because there are so many different people in pharmacy and everybody has something to teach you. Like I've met some some of the most intelligent people I've ever met have been like going through residency um, and like having co-residents and like my preceptors, like some of those people are just like wildly intelligent and you just like want to be around them and learn from them. Um, So I think those are the highlights. And then the challenges are, I think like big challenges is burnout Mm. because like with, especially recently with the pandemic, like pharmacists had a lot put on them. And I think also that a lot of pharmacists were like the forgotten healthcare folk, right? Like people were thinking, thinking doctors and thinking nurses a lot, but not realizing that pharmacists were also struggling and it's hard to like not be recognized when you're being stretched so thin, especially with the rollout of like the COVID vaccine and like all those like crazy drug things that were happening. People were using drugs for things that they weren't supposed to. And like, you know, when you work in retail, it can be a dangerous game because you can get harassed because you're more patient facing than someone like me who works in a hospital and I'm kind of protected, you know, a little bit more. 
or people who work in industry who may not have like very much interaction with patients. So I think the burnout is like one of the low points of it. And also I think a low point is like when you really do try your best for a patient and things don't work out. Um, but that's a lot of it is like out of your control. Right. Um, but like working in the ER, there were lots of times where we would do our hardest and the patient would still die. And like, it's tough. It's hard to see. Unfortunately, when you work in a setting like an ED, you become kind of like desensitized to it because you see it so much. Mm -hmm. Um, which I know was like concerning for a lot of my friends. Cause I'm like, yeah, a couple of people died today. And they're like, what? And I'm like, you have to understand that I may see a couple people die pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like just having perspective and figuring out ways to cope. Because if you don't find out ways to cope, especially when you're in a position where you don't necessarily see death that often, it can really take a mental toll on you. So I think that that can be kind of hard with the clinical aspect of it. And then also, like, for example, when you're in retail and just other positions, when you don't, let's say, make your metrics or there's a mistake made or something that's just maybe detrimental, um, it can really have a negative impact on you. So just like building up that resiliency and having burnout plans. Mm. That's really good information to share because I think that's, you know, people don't really think about the reality, like people don't always make it, you know. They, you know, people die Mm. every day. Unfortunately, that's just, that's just life. But thank you for sharing that because that's a reality of working in any form of healthcare. Yeah. Um, And that's something I, yeah, I just don't know if a lot of people going into it, think about it, but you sharing, like, you know, you have to have ways to cope. Cause I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, I wonder like, you know, what you like, what your self-care looks like for yourself. Because um, I can, I can imagine like we all go through burnout in different levels, but burnout in a, a medical setting sounds very, very intense. So now thank you for for um, sharing that because people need to make sure you have a plan, especially if you're in like in healthcare right now or thinking about it. Every day is not going to go the way you want it to go. So, yes. <laughs> um, that's perfect. Um, I guess, and this is my last question that I'll ask, and we kind of talked about it at the beginning, but can you talk about different ways to get into pharmacy. I know we talked about like, you know, you're the you're a pharmacist, but there's also like technicians. You talk about those, like the differences um, in those fields. Yeah, so, so if I'm a pharmacist, right? And to get into, to be a pharmacist, you need to have like a doctorate of pharmacy degree. Um, and then eventually that allows you to sit for your board exams to become licensed to practice. Um, so, that's like, depending how you get there, you can do like a two, four, which is what I did two years undergrad, four years, um, the PharmD program. Um, but with my program, there was a caveat, like I don't have a bachelor's degree at all. I just have my doctorate. Um, so there are folks who do their bachelor's do four years and then may take a break or just go straight in and do pharmacy. And there are other programs that are like zero to six where like you're admitted into pharmacy directly from high school. If you make certain um, requirements, yeah, like Rutgers is a school that does that. I wanted to go there so bad when I was in high school. <laughs> I wanted to go there so bad. But um, Rutgers is a, like a, one of the few zero to six programs and you go straight out of high school. And then UConn, I'm not sure if they're zero to six, but you go in straight from high school as well. But they also award you after your four years of bachelor's degree. 
but it's like um, in pharmaceutical, it's like pharmacy studies. So it's just particular to pharmacy mm-hmm. and their program, but you still have a bachelor's degree, right? Um, so there's that with pharmacy um, and being a pharmacist for technicians. Um, I believe it the it depends. So for technicians, you can pretty much do it. You can apply for your technician license. Like in Connecticut, you just go to the Department of Health and apply, and you can apply for jobs and get that experience. And I think you can do that straight out of high school. Um, but there is a, like a national pharmacy technician certification exam that you can take to become a certified tech, and that requires you to you know study and pass that exam. And then you being a certified tech is helpful because that means that you've obviously take an exam, but you know certain skills and some jobs value that a lot more than just having the basic license. Um, And like, for example, what I was saying to you guys in New York State, they changed the law where like in the hospital, you have to become a certified tech. That was as of, I believe, last year. Um, So there's the technicians and there are some, I believe, some community colleges that do offer like pharmacy technician classes to kind of learn that information. Um, and But not everyone goes through that. Some people, a lot of the techs I know have just been techs straight out of high school because they got their foot in the door by working in retail. Um, and then some folks may transition to different aspects of retail, like doing more specialty pharmacy, where they're dealing with a certain type of drug, um, or they transition to like hospital. Um, in the hospitals as well, we have what's called like pharmacy purchasers and pharmacy buyers. And those are the people who basically like buy all of our inventory. So that's not like the jobs. It can sometimes be a pharmacist, but a lot of times the people who've done that job have been techs. I've worked in the pharmacy for a couple of years and have transitioned into that role um, and have been familiar with the inventory. And essentially like the millions of dollars of drugs they have are like their responsibility and they're buying those every day and making sure that they're able to supply us with everything we need and dealing with shortages like they help to purchase as much as they can or like purchase alternatives. So that's like another aspect. Um, And then there's like people who work with pharmacy technologies. Um, Those folks can be pharmacists as well, but there are also techs who do that, who are just very competent in the different technology systems that we have in the pharmacies. So we have like big machines called like um, carousels, but they're like big cabinets that dispense the medications on the floors in the pharmacy and they're the people that I have dealt with who like deal with those technologies. Most of them have been technicians who have just worked in hospitals for some time and have been familiar and then transitioned into that role of being like our technology specialist. Um, so, yeah, those are the ones that I'm familiar with. I'm pretty sure there are folks who like do other things. So like another part of pharmacy as well as like pharmaceutical sciences and like folks who like in toxicology and things like that. And those are folks who do like a lot of research and those aren't always pharmacists. Those are just, they, those just may be like straight researchers who um, do the research and to help with drug development and work with drug companies. Um, And there are also pharmacists who do do a lot of research as well, but you don't always have to be like a pharmacist to do the research, to do drug development. Um, you can just you can be someone who has a bachelor's degree or a master's or even a PhD. It's just depending on what type of level of research you're trying to do and where you're trying to get. Wow. There is a lot of ways. <laughs> I had no yeah, idea. there's there's a lot. Even uh, when you mentioned like some can do, I think you said tech out of high school. I was like, oh, I didn't even think of that. So that's really mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, and then I guess 
so because you were talking earlier about the, there was like a policy in New York. So maybe for people that are trying to decide if they want to get into pharmacy and in what capacity, are each state laws different? Because I know when it comes to certifications, maybe like in one state, you need X amount of hours for a certification. Is there a lot of you probably should consider that before um, selecting a college or maybe thinking ahead of where you might want to live long term? to consider that when going into a certain field of pharmacy to see like if there's different hours requirements and things like that? Yeah, so that's actually a really great question because every every state's pharmacy law is different. Um, But then there's ultimately also federal pharmacy law um, and like every state follows it differently. So like I went to school in New York um, and New York has some of the strictest laws and because of their pharmacy law also, um, like pharmacists had to take a third exam. Like most states just have you take two. Um, pharmacists, like New York had you take a third when I was in school. It no longer exists anymore, but um, it was like a compounding exam where it was a part three where you had to physically show that you were capable of making like IV compounds and like topical oral compounds and then also do a written exam. Um, but there's like, for example, New York State, originally before this new mandate, it was not mandated for techs who do like compounding and like healthcare settings to get its pharmacy certification, tech certification, but now they're requiring it. So every state is different. So it's important to do your research when it comes to that. Um, and the thing about pharmacy law is you can always access it on the board of pharmacies websites, whether it be like through department of health for those states. Um, it's not the easiest to comprehend if you're not familiar with like how law can be written you can always find that information because every state requires something different. And even like for pharmacists as well, like, um, you know how I was mentioning continuing education, every state requires you to do a different amount of continuing education on a different cadence. So I have three licenses and I, I just try to do as much every year cause I'm like, it'll satisfy one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cause one state is on every two years, one state is on annually, one state is on every three years. So you have to be mindful of that because if you want to upkeep these licenses, you have to make sure you're getting that continuing education done. And every state requires a certain number of different types, whether it be like medication safety or pharmacy law um, for you to get that every year or every two years or so. um, And they may audit you. So you want to make sure that you're staying on top of it. So high schoolers, if you're listening, make sure you're doing research on that part. Because there are some certain jobs where you do have to think ahead. I think we were talking with um, Cole last time and his position, specific position. He was trying to see, like, for PAs, if you could have the flexibility to move to a different state. And I think in some certain capacity he could. So, but there, I think we, it's easy to forget that some certain careers you have to think, like, that far ahead in advance of, like, well, maybe one day I might want to go to the West Coast. Is it different versus the East Coast? And those kind of requirements. So that is something to consider when researching and figuring it out as part of the plan. Right, um, right. Kiki, do you have any more questions? I mean, I have a silly question to ask. I don't. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> What's one of, like, the craziest, bogus, like, suggestions you heard from someone? They're like, well, someone told me in my family. This is something that I've heard, which is bogus. Well, I don't know. People say it works. Like, if you're sick, they say, put, like, fresh onions under your feet, and it's supposed to like, heal your sickness. Oh, What's God. one of the craziest remedies you've ever heard, <laughs> being a psychiatrist, being a um, um, pharmacist? <laughs> no, that's a good question. Usually, I'm just like, 
What? <laughs> you know, like, you know, everyone's talking about the teas with the rum, and I'm like, okay, I can kind of see that, you know, kind of keep it oh, hydrated yeah. and like, toddy. Yeah. Right. Like, and yep. knock you out so you can sleep type of yep. thing, or like the Vix Vapor Rub. Like, um, I think somebody was telling me, like, oh, if you have eczema in your, on your scalp, like, their grandma used to like coat the hair in Vix Vapor Rub. And I was like, I don't think that. Burns, yeah, yeah. I was like, if you have open, yeah. like, because you know how sometimes eczema can flake and open. I yeah. was like, uh, I don't think you want to put Vicks menthol on your scalp. No, that sounds. But terrible. I was also reading how someone was like, oh yeah, I had an ear infection, and my grandma tied um, half an onion to my ear, and then it went away. And I was like, mm. I read that too somewhere. <laughs> I read that too somewhere. <laughs> Remember reading that? Okay, onions. I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Like, just walk down to your local retail store and get some insight, so you don't have to waste the onion and figure out how to sleep on the onion. Waste some good food. Right. Waste produce. That's crazy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> this has been so yeah. insightful. Even like when you were yeah. talking about your exam, where you had to make topical ointments. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's even part of it too. And obviously, like. I'm not in like the pharmaceutical world. So, but when I, you always see those little logos and they have, what is it? Like the grinders when the old school, what is it? Grinders yeah, the, when you're um, mortar and pestle. Yeah, mm-hmm. mortar, mortar and pestle. I'm like, duh, I'm like, that makes so much sense. But yeah. me not being in that realm, like, why isn't it a pill? But that's, it's just been so informative, this whole conversation of the different aspects and everything that mm-hmm. is involved in the different fields. It's been really, really helpful. Thank you. I appreciate y'all having me. <laughs> Thanks for being on. This is great. Yeah. So thank you listeners for chiming in to, well, not chiming in, but listening into this informative session. Um, if you have any other requests for whether it be in the medical field or any other different careers that you're interested in hearing about, please make sure to send us an email or send us a DM on our Instagram. Take a look at our show notes to see all of our social media platforms and a Venmo if you would like to bless us. We also have merch, so check us out on our website to see more of that. But until then, we will see you in the next one. See you. Bye. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening to the latest episode of Your Advisors. We'll see you now. Please make sure to follow us on all of our social media pages and check out our website. Take a look at the show notes below. And please make sure to subscribe and share this podcast. Also show us some love and please leave a five-star review. Catch you next time. See ya.